Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. If you've been paying attention to the beer social medias lately, you might have noticed a photo of a Colorado-brewed amber ale making the rounds. It's called Retired, and it's a clear homage to the original recipe, New Belgium Fat Tire. This beer, however, is made by Crooked Stave, and Chad Jacobson, the brewery's founder and brewmaster, is here for a conversation. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Brewer to Brewer and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. A few bucks goes a long way to help keep the content fresh and to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer. Chad Jacobson founded Crooked Stave Artisan Beer Project 13 years ago, and originally it focused around Britannomyces. As his official bio points out, his brewing master's thesis was on Britannomyces and its use in the brewing industry. Quote, wanting to spread the wealth of knowledge, Chad published his research as an open source website to provide a greater understanding of Britannomyces yeasts for brewers, focused on strain-specific fermentations and the major compounds produced during pure culture anaerobic fermentation and wort, the application of these yeasts has proliferated throughout the brewing industry, end quote. Wild Wild Brett, where I'll begin the conversation, was a research and development series that really helped drinkers of the time better understand the yeast. But a changing beer world has it backburnered today. Still, everything old can be new again, including amber ales. So when New Belgium announced that it was fundamentally changing its famed fat tire from an amber ale to more of a golden one, many folks were heartbroken, even if they hadn't purchased the beer for some time. Chad walks me through how this homage came to be and how he never thought Crooked Stave would ever make an amber ale. A lot has happened in 13 years, and Chad weaves the story of Crooked Stave and the larger beer industry through the lens of Colorado. Here's our conversation. In thinking about this conversation in advance, I was going back in my mind of beers of yours that I enjoyed from when you first opened up. And I kept coming back to the Wild Wild Brett series. And (laughs) what did you say? That's amazing? Yeah. Why is that amazing? Uh, It's cool because it really does set it back. Those were those first beers. It was the impetus for the brewery and the brand and you know got us um got us launched and, and got us on our feet and running what was your what was your intent back then with that series i i know it was some of the marketing uh info was you know to to explore the many uh, uh or the versatility of britannomyces but um 
what inspired you early on to sort of dedicate a whole line of beers to Britannomyces? It, it really was, you know, discovery and creativity, uh, which I think is the the hallmark of, of Crooked Stave. It's what you know, spurs me, still spurs me to this day. Um, and it was, it's also sort of brought on by this idea of, so that Britannomyces research that I'd done, um, to me, it was, it was fascinating. It answered a lot of questions uh, that I had, spurred a lot of ideas as well, and was was put in my head, you know, okay, research and, and practicality, like how is this relevant? And that was really put in my head by Peter Buchart, the, the brewmaster at New Belgium at the time. Yeah. And so I was looking for a way. It was like, how can I okay, how can I explore what is Britannomyces? Britannomyces is, is not a style of beer, right? Like if we're like, this brewery's great at making IPAs or this brewery's known for its porters or you instantly have this idea based around like, okay, that is a style, a preconceived notion of flavors, what it's going to look like. But if you say Britannomyces, it's like throwing a dart, you know, at the wall. And, and is, there, is there a target that you're even aiming for? Well, uh, and, and even so, 15 years ago, though, I mean, it was the the tasting note that most people would put out that I, I imagine will make you bang your head against the wall as a horse blanket. <laughs> totally. Right. I mean, that like, was just the, oh, really, yeah, you can really taste the horse blanket. Horse blanket. <laughs> and it was just this blanket statement. Um, we stayed away. I stayed away right, from yeah. using the term funk forever yeah. because it's like, is that good? Is that bad? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to explore that, like. It could Britannomyces, you know, quote unquote, become a style? Is there something that people wanted that people might drink every day? Or, you know, is it is it a one-off? Like we do a sour and barrel aged and these really unique beers. So I wanted to explore that further. It just hadn't really been explored. You could count on, you know, two hands, like how many total beers had even been made in the United States with Britannomyces at that point. Yeah, purposefully. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> not to not to be too disparaging, but yeah, a lot of times it's when true. it would show up, it'd be like, "Oh, is everything all right at the brewery these days?" Um, I, what did you learn from that project? I I think I learned a lot about my palate for Britannomyces. I learned a lot about the Britannomyces strains themselves, so blending different ones, um, and really got to a point where I felt like I had a solid grip on what the way I like to accentuate those yeast flavors. The last like three or four beers are the same base beer and, and in a way the same base beer to this day that we use, you know, we don't brew as many of like St. Beretta, um, Colorado wild sage, some of those that we've done, but it's, it's basically that same base recipe to this day. And it's not too different than, I, I would say a base recipe used for a lot of other things, just a little bit of accents, like from some oats in there to create some mouthfeel. It's weird. Cause this was what 13, 15 years ago, something like that where those beers were coming out. Yeah. 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 We're um, thir- celebrating basically our 13th anniversaries coming up soon here. Okay. There was, I think there's a lot of excitement around those beers at the time and a lot of conversation. I mean, I I recall hazily a conversation with you many, many years ago where one of them came out and it just, it didn't hit my palate the right way. Um, And I had some thoughts and 
I it might have been yellow or it might have been green. I can't I can't remember. I could see that. I could see that for both or all of them. Okay. <laughs> One of them was like really showcasing a caddy a cattiness to it that I just couldn't get past. Oh, that's um, yeah, got to be wild over green. Okay. Because it was it used um uh what galaxy hops like before galaxy became the rage yeah um they were available and that was like basically primary dry hop everything hopped with galaxy so yeah caddy sounds about right okay <laughs> i want to say there's a conversation in new york at saver one year but um uh but it, I, I i just remember though really diving into those beers because looking back 13 years ago right there was still a lot of experimentation going on there's still a lot of uh runway or white space or whatever you want to use for unexplored uh avenues of flavor especially here in the US and you were pushing the 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 envelope on Britannomyces and then it seems like the shift came to the hazy IPA and that's where everybody kind of put their attention and or a lot of you know consumers put their attention and a lot of brewers put their attention and a lot of the the yeast strains or you know the funk um went by the wayside and i I, i'm wondering if that hadn't happened was there a long tail do you think for some of those beers for the britannomyces forward beers like did we did we miss out on further exploration as consumers because we were too enamored yeah, with I mean, such I a mosaic? I don't wanna I, I actually haven't yes. Um is some I do think so. Uh I do think that like the wind was really taken out of and and maybe even a larger segment of the industry. I think you make a really good point. Like if you remember, that was as it, you know, looking back now, it was kind of the coattails of you know, dogfish heads, like extreme beer fest. Right. And, and the yeah. beers that, that we were making, I remember really fascinating, really creative, like fun beers we were brewing at Odell Brewing Company, you know, the stuff that New Belgium was doing, uh, just the time dogfish head, you know, you had these stuff, uh, some of the Michigan breweries and the, the creativity, the, the extreme beer, like, you know, everyone kind of sees it a little bit differently. There was just a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I, I think it was, I think it was really positive. I think it was really fascinating. You know, there was various different types of barrel aged beers, just kind of this, it, it was a lot for sure. And it's hard to say where it, it, it was going. Um, but it does seem like, yeah, kind of the wind, like the sail was just taken out of it. Um, for, for us, it was pretty abrupt. Like, it was insane in, in Colorado's culture. I actually, I just had beers with, uh, with Andy Parker last week and sure. was former barrel ringler, right? At, at Avery Brewing Company. Yeah. And then a Denver beer. Yeah. Three, 4,000 different barrels. Oh, yeah. barrels. Um, and yeah. And then creativity at, at Denver Beer Co. And you know, we were just kind of talking about it. And back then, like I remember going to Avery's events and waiting for whether it was like Mephistopheles or when they started doing all their releases, like with Brabant and all those different Brett wild and sours that they were doing. And yeah, that articulated to, to us at crooked stay, we would have three, 400 people um, lining up. Mind, mind you, Colorado is very different than, than the East coast. I think of course you have to divide things by 10 
because of the population. Okay. Um, so 300 people in Colorado would be 3,000, you know, in, in New York or Vermont or kind of out that way. And all of a sudden when um, the Tired Hands and, you know, Friends Breweries and, um, uh, you know, other half and different, when you started having people waiting in line and putting chairs down, and then it felt like overnight, all of a sudden people just weren't really, you know, they went from buying three, four, five cases of a single type of wild and sour to like <laughs> one, two, three bottles. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I do think that, you know, and it was kind of felt like nationwide across the board. Everyone started just changing their programs um, and everyone started making hazy IPA. So I think that that space in your brewery for whether it was creativity or that time that you were using sort of, you know, just, yeah, shifted to let's, let's make hazy IPAs. Um, and we haven't seen the same, I think, sort of creativity since then. I, I haven't felt it, you know, as a mass, I think, across the U.S. And there's also something to be said about the quick, set, uh, quick uh, kettle sour beers as well. Um, you know, some of the fruity kettle sours that were coming out there that not surplanted the Brett forward beers, but, you know, in, in some ways, you know, again, for a brief period of time, and I think they're still out there, uh, quite a bit, but not maybe in the same, um, fan base way that they, that, that they were, um, but you know, the tartness of those, uh, kind of replaced the funkiness of some of those really nuanced Britannomyces forward beers. Yeah, it, it, I think so. I think it gave away for breweries who couldn't or, um, you know, just didn't have, you know, the equipment and the processes to make the more funky, longer ones. Like I think it started the funky, longer age beers and it gave everyone a little bit of an opportunity to play around with tart and sour and, and fit their palates. Right. And so I kind of, I see them all in, in the same family. Uh, so to me, I, I saw it positive when people were doing, you know, whether it was kettle sours or, you know, quick tarts or however you want to kind of do it. I, I think they're all still together there. I just think it, we saw more of them, right? All of a sudden it was like, if there's 10 sours, there's 50 kettle sours or something, just because it was a little more applicable and approachable for a lot of breweries to be able to do those. They weren't set up for the, you know, the, the time really that it takes in the barrels and, and the processes. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of inventory. I mean, you become a winery storing product for you know, yeah one two years worth of brewing that you got to build up. It's pretty difficult to do um, in a, in most modern breweries. Yeah, as just with sort of Britannomyces on the mind right now, um, are there is it still of interest to you all at the brewery? And and if so, is there an audience for it these days? Yeah, it's sour rosé. While it's, as an example, you know, it's still our core sour beer. Um, it is a little bit behind IPA and Pilsner these days. Uh, and we continue to kind of what I consider like innovate or riff on it. So I think we've got Mango Tango out right now. We're always kind of exploring other exotic beverages or cocktails or ways that we can put ingredients together. And I find that that sour base to be just a great, a blank palette um, to build upon and, and to be creative with. 
And those beers still in our home market and in other markets, relative, of course, uh, still still sell well. So there still is this, um, I think, sort of like, you know, group of people or or sort of like ebb and flow of beer drinkers that get into them or try them or finding them. You know, I, I look at Sour Rosé as sort of the, the jumping point. It's just not as many people are willing to buy a, you know, $20 bottle of a long-aged wild and sour. It's still out there. Yeah. Um, our numbers have, have dwindled, actually, from what we used to have at the brewery to the point where now we have conversations like, oh, we, we got to do more of this. Hey, we got to, you know, are we doing the peach sour this year? Like, what's what's going on? We need to get these because we need to have draft of it. We need to have bottles. So uh, it's there. But as I kind of put it now, it's that the the ceiling and the floor are very close to each other when it comes to sour <laughs> beer. So, um, and that part of that kind of coattails, I think the ceiling was was higher um, before. Is there? I mean, I was going to ask, like, is there a way to get some of that back, or to reintroduce, or even just for the first time introduce, you know, Brit- Britannomyces? Um, forward beers and the nuance behind it so that because I, I in some ways i feel like the conversation has reverted back to at least in tap rooms to the horse blanket note um that the good work that you and others did has kind of been forgotten in a very short period of time just because of the you know the way drinkers are these days um so i i guess i'm wondering if i don't know is there I, I think so. And I yeah. actually think the way that you're uh, sort of the way you frame that is spot on with what what I'm seeing and, and other friends are kind of seeing and feeling a little bit. The trends in the industry, the the waves, you know, the, the economics of beer are really, really fascinating. Uh, the explosion, right? So like kind of put some time on it. But from like 2010 or so, we had 6,000 breweries open up. Yeah. Uh, it's three times what we had. It's 75% more than, than what we had before. You know, we were under 2,000 breweries. And it was, if I'm getting my dates right, I think it was in the mid uh, to late 90s when we were around like 800. Yeah, it sounds and right. Before that, there was more. There was, I don't think it was quite 2000, somewhere in the 1200, 1500s. And we had three, four, 500 breweries. I think, I think mostly brew pods, but close in, in the late nineties, you know, right before kind of the two thousands or so in there, uh, for, for different reasons than, than what we're seeing now. But that, that was not that long ago. Uh, if you look at that kind of run, I mean, we have 10, these kind of 10 year ebb and flows, like, peaks and valleys, uh, which is pretty short when it comes to industry. I think it still talks to how, how new and how young our industry is. Yeah. So the, those conversations being reverted, kind of where we're at and stuff is, is honestly really how it feels. It, it does. And, and I got another friend who, the way he put it, he was saying, he's like, yeah, the industry feels like Benjamin Button. Um, <laughs> you know, it feels, he's like, I remember going to, he's like, we were going to Philly Beer Week. Uh, we were going to an event in New York. It was like it was around 2012. And we're like, what? What are all these people doing outside the bar? Like, what's going on? And they walked in, and people started cheering. And he, he was like, 
what is going on, right? That was around that like 2012, 2013 time. It feels like it's like 2011, 2010 again. Yeah. Um, it, it's just kind of where it's, where it's at. So I think for anyone who's, you know, as you see these peaks and valleys. Yeah. So, I mean, am I surprised that people are talking about like horse blanket or maybe some of the conversations are, um, seem like where they were, uh, back then I'm, I'm not. And I, I see that even as being positive in some ways. Certainly here in Colorado, Crooked Stave is is old enough that most new beer drinkers don't don't know about us. When you're not the the bright shiny new thing anymore, uh, it, it's really quickly it's really easy to to quickly kind of be another brewery. And right, that's so hard to believe. The, yeah, right. But the same can be said, I think, for sour beers. So I see I see the world as a pendulum um, that swings. Right, hazy IPAs are one extreme side of the pendulum and one of the ones that i love are you know these pilsners that you're seeing as well are clean lagers uh being being made by brewers and being you know meticulously made as well but those are just two sides of that kind of that pendulum swinging so it's a very long answer to i could honestly see a world where sour beer like cork and cage 750 mil bottles actually make a comeback uh, because they're almost so old that it becomes new again and that's just kind of the way the world works in many ways so we'll see i don't know but i think there's a, a possibility and would make me chuckle that's for Wait, sure i ha- i have to ask are you saying this to try to manifest it because you have a warehouse somewhere that's filled top <laughs> to bottom with gauge and cork in 750s no we would be sol we used to <laughs> in, in 2016 um we had 65 75,000 bottles bottle conditioning yeah um now we have you know 25 30 bottles um sitting on our shelves for sale in the tap room yeah Um, no we would we would all of a sudden like uh be be racing to try to make more but as soon as you do that then (laughs) then the uh the bottom falls out again so you just kind of just kind of ebb and flow and, and do things as it comes that's what i love about the sour beer that we put into cans because it's it's traditionally fermented 100% oak with all the organisms. I wanted to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's living. uh, I call them, you know, quicker sours because it doesn't take us a year to make them, Um, but they spend months fermenting then on fruits and then being packaged, but we're putting them into a package that clearly the consumer wants Um, in Colorado, 12 ounce sells better than, than 16 ounce. Uh, And I also think 12 ounce is a very approachable, package for a, a sour beer a tart beer and they blur the lines between you know long-aged funky but also that you know quick tart approachable so i think they're very uh, approachable for a lot of consumers even consumers who aren't that interested in beer times yeah. as well when you started off you know with the wild wild brett project and then you, you sort of mentioned where you know uh, some of your beers are behind pilsner behind ipa um so presumably a clean beer program um this is probably not the trajectory that you thought the brewery was going to be on 13 years ago are you are you satisfied with where it is now though uh that's i think uh that it's almost like two two questions there okay uh, in a way, so very much so, uh, and actually, 
I always kind of quote this, but there's a interview somewhere I can't find anymore. It was with the the Colorado and so the newspaper up in Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. And it was about uh, early 2011. I think it was early 2011. It might have even been late 2010 before I'd actually uh, made any beers at Crooked Stave, like brewed yet. And I talked about making these hazy IPAs, which was really confusing to people because hazy IPAs hadn't come onto the market yet. There was just Hill Farmstead and the Alchemist that were making them back then. And so I was like, yeah, you know, we'll do these unfiltered IPAs. We didn't have the term hazy IPA back then. Yeah. Uh, I'll do a, I'll do a Baltic Porter and we'll do some barrel aging projects. So I talked about uh, some of the clean beers, if you will, right? Saccharomyces only beers that we would, that we produce and be making Uh, the original like origins. Well, and still to this day. So like our burgundy sour and our dark sour, both of those are lagered beers. So we were making lagers uh, from day one. Just wasn't what was talked about because it became Nightmare on Brett and and Origins is like Flemish Sour. Yeah. Um, so so I did always see us producing these, these clean beers. I don't know if I thought it would be as big of a uh, proportion, right? I, I think if we were to take everything, add up all the beers we do with Saccharomyces and all the beers we do with Sour, we're probably... 85% clean beer, 15% sour. And that 15% is made up of sour rosé and those sour rosé, the petite sours, some of the, the fruited sours, the stuff that we're doing all in fooders is what would make up that volume of that. I'd love to now go back and, and look at our, uh, look at what we're actually at to see if it, it is that high. But that would be kind of my guess would be about 15% sour beer and 85% Pilsner and IPA. Hmm. Is there, so I guess with, with that evolution then, and I don't know the way things have, have changed um, in the last 13 years. I imagine in some ways it sort of helped you stay nimble or not be beholden to any one particular thing. Is that, is that fair? Absolutely. And that part, I would certainly say, was not, uh, I did not have the foresight for. A lot of that came down to kind of right right place, right time, and kind of luck. Uh, I did have, like, I've got a note in my phone from like 2012 or something that says, um, I think it says, put Wild Wild Brett Orange in a can, uh, which okay. is what went on to become St. Bretta. Okay. Uh, so it was like, put that in the can. I definitely saw... You know, it's easy being here in Colorado to see kind of the can revolution, Oscar Blues, and uh, with Upslope putting beers in cans. Like, okay, I, mm-hmm. I can see which direction that goes. Then New Belgium was a really quick, um, really quick to jump on as well and start getting beer into cans. And you could see, like, okay, this is this is a good vessel for this. I don't exactly think we should put sour beer into it, but I'm never going to say you know never. Right. And then then like okay. Britannomyces. And then it's like, well, if we're putting Britannomyces, we should do some sour beer. So we spent the time with Ball, like to check the linings and everything like that, um, which wasn't a tough thing at all. And putting those beers into cans and, and getting a canning line. Cause at one point we were in like probably, I think it was probably around 2015 or so. I was looking at uh, bottling lines and we were looking at bottling lines that would do like 10,000 bottles, uh, you know, and, and be able to bust this out in, in a day and be able to do cork and cage and being able to do conditioning and you know we would have spent a lamborghini's worth amount of money 
on on a really nice bottling line to literally have the market fall out. Oh yeah. And along the way pivoted and was like, well, you know, I really want to do these Brett beers and cans. So we started looking at canning lines as well. Pulled the trigger on the canning line, had that coming in. And so it was in 2017 when we started to can some of the Brett beers on a mobile canning line. And then we got our canning line in later in 2017 and got up in packaging. And we had been doing the clean beers on draft. So IPAs on draft and, and some Pilsners on draft. And we just transitioned it into the cans as well. And if you look at it for, for us as a brewery, 2016 was kind of the, the pivotal pinnacle year. We went from um, selling, essentially selling out of like mama bear sour cherry pie in the tap room during GABF to what I was talking about where people are just buying a couple of bottles of beer at a time. We were ramped up to keep making uh, larger proportions. It was always my dream, sort of my, my vision with the company was to introduce people to wild sour beer, but at a very, very high level. So that if you were in New York or if you were in you know, Minneapolis or Seattle or San Diego and someone was like, you know, what's sour beer? Like what's sour beer? Like I want a cricket save to be able to avail- be available so that we could be an introductory beer. Like, oh, try the sour rosé or try these beers. And then, you know, they would kind of make their way up. So that hmm. wasn't um, what happened. And instead, it was, you know, the IPA started selling really well in Pilsner. Um, Bob Pilsner was selling great. Yeah, And so we kept, you know, creativity becomes not just in, in your recipes and in your ingredients, but in your process um, and having really strict processes so that when you can make six different Pilsners like we'll do or lagers, they're actually different beers and they don't just all taste the same. Uh, that, that becomes a lot harder to do. Um, and that, that's quite creative. And that's something that I think we do very well at Cricket State. More in a moment, but first, thanks to this episode's sponsor. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash drinkbeer. And now back to my conversation with Chad Jacobson of Crooked Stave. It, it, it's so interesting to hear you talk about having the wild beer out there in the market that people could pinpoint when they wanted to learn because the era in which you came up and I came up and 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 you know some of our our, our peers and you know either writing or, or or brewing was that era of bottle shares where if you wanted you know an alt beer there was maybe one that was nationally available or if you wanted you know an amber ale there was one or maybe five that were nationally available like there wasn't a ton of choice out there in package um, you know saison de pont with pretty much national distribution and global distribution. You know, is that gold standard, um, not only because it tastes great, but because you can pretty much find it anywhere and you're going to know it's reliable. Uh, it, it's just sort of interesting that that doesn't really exist in the same way that it did 15, 20 years ago with the one example or the gate or, or the one gateway uh, with so much choice out there these days. Um, are are you able to still sort of cut through the noise locally 
on that front, even if people aren't in New York or in Minneapolis? You know, getting that's, your beers. That's a good one. Um, you know, that's that's a really interesting one. I've always, in, in a way, like talked about Crooked Stave and and where it's at. I think with with Colorado, it is a very difficult market. Uh, it is very saturated, heavily saturated. Uh, I, I can never remember the statistics are always fun, right? Cause you can make statistics look, you know, any way you want. So, um, <laughs> while there's, there might be 450 or 500 breweries in California, there's only, you know, 350 or 400 breweries in Colorado. However, Colorado only has like 3 million people on the front range and California has 40 million people. Right. Um, so when you start to divide the numbers out, like a brewery per hundred people in Colorado, there's like a brewery per 500,000 people in California. Uh, and so what ends up happening in Colorado is if you are not one of say the top five breweries in Colorado, we're all just kind of sharing a, a piece of the puzzle. Uh, so, uh, yeah, kind of put in, it calls them butterflies, you know, people just kind of, fly by and grab different things. And so I think what we see a lot of, especially in Colorado, in the, in the local market is that you don't have, like, there aren't just crooked stave drinkers, um, you know, or we can name any one of our friends breweries, you know, outside of a, a unicorn or two brewery, people are just, there's like 10 or 15 of us who are all, I think, making really, really high quality beer. We all kind of have our own takes on IPAs and Pilsners. And we're all sharing the same customer. So when they walk in to buy a six pack, it's just what's new that I haven't bought um, from. Oh, I already had that one from that brewery. I'm going to try a new brewery today. And then, you know, the next week or a couple days later, oh, I haven't had this new one from that brewery. I had another one of the beers, but I'm going to try this one. So it is this sort of like trying to, trying to keep up, trying to, you know, I kind of use quotes when I say innovate, but innovation comes in so many different ways it could be brewing a beer you just haven't brewed before and people need to try that one um it could be you know you, you did a one-off you really liked it so you bring it back as sort of a seasonal because you saw that there was a little bit more little more pull on the shelf for it so just trying to like stay in tune and and, and really watch for that so that would kind of be the way i would sum up the the local market here in colorado um, yeah. fortunately we do have a lot of, you know, high proportion of people are drinking craft beer. It is, it is popular. It is common, um, to, to drink craft beer. So yeah, it, it's enough. I'm, I'm always inspired when I go to Colorado, I was out there for the great American beer festival a couple of weeks ago. And even your airport bars, dive bars, like no matter where you go, there's going to be local beer on tap. You know, it's not just going to be a, a draft tower of you know, one major corporation with a couple of their handles. Um, there, there's going to be fun diversity in there and diversity of styles um, as, as well. And this was the first time, I think, that I was in Colorado um, where I could not find a familiar amber ale on tap. <laughs> and... Um, yeah. I, I, I'm guessing that I'm not alone, and I'm also guessing that that's uh, something that folks are missing locally, and what inspired you all to release Retired? 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, for <laughs> me, even, even just starting like from, I'd say my personal story uh, is, is that I went to, you know, going to college, I'm Colorado native. And so I've always kind of talked about where a lot of people know Budweiser, know Coors. I, for me, growing up in Colorado, it was also always New Belgium and Odell. And I mean, even to the point where, you know, it can be difficult for, for New Belgium. A lot of people call it outside of the state, right? Um, Fat Tire Brewing Company. Yeah. Um, because Fat Tire is such, such a staple and, and such a brand. Uh, and it's kind of a, a beautiful thing. And then, you know, Easy Street Wheat was another one of them for Odell, which yeah, that's same. It's another beer that went away as well. Um, Odell now has it out, I believe, is like a seasonal. But Easy Street Wheat is not year-round. And I think it, it piggybacks on a little bit of what I was talking about where um i mean there are there are definitely new belgium drinkers there's Odell drinkers bud coors and and here in colorado where we're sharing that pie but even even larger breweries right are are feeling it because sometimes you're feeling it because of you know some of that creativity right we go back to 10 years ago eight years ago with the extreme beer fest and some of those things that we were being able to to participate in those set the different breweries apart as well with less of that, now it's more of making um, these same brands, you know, uh, to speak specifically of, you know, on, on New Belgium and Batire and, and, you know, they're brilliant with their, the, the Voodoo, the Voodoo Ranger line. Um, you know, it's a juggernaut. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a unicorn um, that, that's built a moat. You know, it's very few <laughs> brands like that yeah. across the world. A unicorn uh, that built a moat. I like do. that. Yeah. I mean, you got another one's like a uh, lion Googles um, with, with their technology and, you know, around the shandy and everything. So yep, uh, it, the, the easiest, the simplest, you know, would be as much as we talk about, you know, crooked stave and, and Britannomyces beers. And I mean, we don't have a single, um, you know, quote unquote, Britannomyces beer the way we used to brew them in any fermenter at this point, we have our fooders filled with wild and sour beer, uh, but there is no St. Breda, or, or anything else. There's like little one-off Brett beers that we do maybe once a quarter, right? And yet, while our Brett was what launched our brewery, yeah. Um, the same, the same goes for uh, with Fat Tire, and so I think, you know, without when you're not real close to to the product itself, right? And you're very nostalgic about something. When we heard that that it was switched and it was a blonde, I believe, um, correct yeah. me if I. But it's like speaker. a gold. It's like a golden ale of some kind, or a golden yeah, was yeah, a, yeah. If, if I had one for the, I had one for the first time on draft when I was in Colorado a couple weeks ago at the airport, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a perfectly nice airport yeah. beer. But it's great. But it, it that beer for me as a visitor was always, and I've talked about this on the show and and other places, but you know. For you all in Colorado or the very few states where New Belgium distributed early on, it was a real treat to get Fat Tire. Like it was never an amazing beer taste wise, but it was reliable and it was refreshing and it it kind of scratched an itch. And I think that some of the exclusivity of its range made it a little bit more desirable. I remember, you know, when my best friend got married, um, we we got cases uh brought out from Colorado to New Jersey um because we couldn't get it here at the time. And then when it became available in New Jersey full time, I went down to my local and I had a pint and I was like, oh, this is nice. And then I don't think I ever ordered it again. And because some of that specialness was was gone, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah it's like, it's like in and out burger. <laughs> once yeah. It's, once it's in your state, you're like, ah, oh, never mind. Exactly. 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 Um, it's true. And I think they didn't ship west of the Mississippi for a while. Yeah. And they didn't uh, come into Jersey until 1718, something like that, maybe. Yeah. The same thing that uh, Coors did as well. I mean, they used to not be able to get Coors west of the Mississippi either. And, and my dad talks about like, used to fly, flying out of Denver. You would people, because this is when you could bring beer and stuff on the plane. And you would have like cases of Coors up above, you know, and that was fat tire uh 20 30 years later being able to do it so it certainly is kind of one of those nostalgic things one of those beers that um is sort of sort of unicorn beer and so for it to be gone is just sort of is just sort of like a huh you know one of those things that you never questioned you never thought would happen like well new belgium will always make that tire yeah that's a given and um i i really applaud them actually for for making the change and you know there's when you start to look into things, it makes a lot of sense. And so then it just kind of became interesting because I, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of never say never. And I definitely said that we will never make an Amber ale. Um, so it's, it's funny the retired, you know, I, I could say that it's even making fun of me in a way, uh, you know, that allowing our, you know, our leadership team and everything to, to drive the bus. So, you know, our distribution company to say like, Hey, like we want an Amber Ale. We'd like to have you guys make one and, and be able to sell it. Um, and so that was like, that was birthed like six months ago, eight months ago, maybe. Okay. Uh, when we do our, when we do our brand development meetings, you know, we're trying to work upwards of 12 months out. You're, you're solidifying each quarter. So even the upcoming quarter, there's still like, okay, is everything 100% ready? Boom. Okay. You know, quarter after that quarter after that. And so the Amber Ale, had in a way been on there for a little while and I probably just kept getting us to punt on it over and over again. Uh, and then it was coming up and we were in one of our leadership meetings, like a quarterly meeting. And we were all kind of talking about that because it had just happened. And I had had, I'd always since way back in the day had fun names. I think for, if I had back then, this is like when I was still in brewing school, you know, if I was ever going to make an Amber Ale. Um, I remember one time I was in, uh, in, in Egypt actually, um, they give you three weeks to study for finals uh, in the UK for a study. And so I went to Egypt for three weeks and I was riding a bike. And, like, to a study or tire. just to kind of blow off, uh, blow off steam? I, I was where, no, just to, um, it, once you're in the UK, it's so cheap to kind of, to travel around and stuff. And so okay. I had three weeks off and I'm studying for your finals for brewing is yeah great. It's not hard to bring your books with you and be able to read and stuff um, while you're visiting some cool places. So I remember getting a flat tire and being like, oh, flat tire. Like that would be a really cool Amber Ale, right? There's like so many fun puns and stuff you could do. And then when we, when the beer was gone and we had this Amber Ale, we we're like, well, we could call this like retired or retire or kind of, you know, different, different fun takes. Um, yeah. And, uh, we, we stuck with it uh, and actually kept, kept the name and, and kind of ran with it on the label. So it was very interesting to see. What's reception uh, been? Uh, the reception has been really, really good. The amount of texts I've gotten from friends around the industry, even people not in the industry um, yeah. who saw it and, and text, uh, it's been really, really positive. Um, people people love it, which I think is is awesome. And I, I personally find that great because I think a lot of times there can be a lot of, a lot of negativity and a lot of people jumping to 
you know, an incorrect conclusion. My take is we're, we're in the brewing industry, right? I mean, we're not, we, I've said this, uh, and, and kind of a, a saying with brewers is you know, we're not, we're not saving lives. Like we're making beer. Uh, this is something that, you know, maybe a company is a really nice meal or, you know, like you were saying for the wedding where you guys bought cases of fat tire and stuff, it's something that's, you know, celebratory and, and joyous. And I think if you're not, you know, celebrating and, and being positive and, and seeing things for, for the fun, that's, you know, that could, that could be difficult. So I was really excited by how positive it was, how positive everyone was just to like say that they got it. And that was awesome. And they saw it. So I don't think we expected any, anything like that. I think for us, it was just, you know, putting out this little amber ale from Crooked Save and hey, this, this will be cool. And then we'll brew another beer, you know, in another month, that'll be a different style. Yeah. It, I, I, I hesitate to ask this question, but is there a possibility for an amber ale renaissance in the US, do you think? Or are we just at that? It's going to be kind of a niche, a niche it thing. Be, it, it's one of those things now. I think my answer is kind of the same, which is um, I'm trying to think of, of it partially like not satirical, but kind of, um, uh, yeah. I mean, in a fun way, I think it would be hilarious if it was. I really do. Uh, the reason why I always said we would never brew an amber ale is because Colorado is literally, and, and I've read this before, this is not my quote it's the ubiquitous amber ale state. Like that is what we are known for. So you have to thank Fat Tire for, you know, yeah. literally putting Colorado on the map and, and putting New Belgium in like the middle of the United States when it comes to breweries uh, and, and its importance. You know, I mean, there's, again, like you look at Bells and Too Hard or something, right? And like, that's like, that's what made IPAs IPAs for, for so many years. And so it's very fortunate, but anyone else who made an amber ale in Colorado, it went nowhere. Uh, and it wasn't right. even like enjoyable to brew um, for the breweries who brew them. It's kind of I mean, like, why not enjoy a blonde? Uh, you, it's not, you know, that there's another beer out there that is selling hundreds of thousands of barrels and already has all the accounts and already has everything to it. Yeah. So you're brewing this beer that like I'd rather brew a pale ale, I'd rather brew the IPA, I'd rather brew this porter, these these different things. Um, you know, if you know that you're getting behind it, but you also know that you're kind of you're creating sales and people are it's a passion project. Like when you make something, you want people to enjoy it. If Crooked Stave started making an amber ale and people started going nuts for it and were like, I love your amber ale, and all of a sudden, you know, bars started wanting to bring it on and stuff like that, yeah we would brew more of it because that's part, part of making something is knowing that you're making something that other, that brings enjoyment that other people want. Um, yeah. and like when you're in Colorado and you're brewing just another amber ale, cause there's already this really, really big one. You're like, eh, couldn't we do something else? And I think that did help spur creativity in Colorado. Probably as everyone dropped, everyone else dropped their, their amber ales. Um, I remember Avery, I used to try it really funny. Like that was the time though, back in, in Colorado, you would try everyone else's Amber Ales. I remember Oasis, Boulder Beer, Avery, like you could just start naming all these breweries that, that had them and they haven't had them for 10 years. Now. Yeah. Um, 
I have my own answer to this and I, I I'm going to put you on the spot yeah. if that's all right. But, uh, the wedding got me thinking of of bringing in those cases, and then you brought up how cores used to be, uh, you know, people would fly with it, and obviously smoking in the bandit. And um, is there? I have my own theory on this, but is there a beer, a Colorado beer, in your mind these days that has now taken that mantle of people coming in to get it? to bring it outside of the state, to bring it back home. This will be, uh, you know, <laughs> I am not sure that I am in tune enough okay. um, with the, the, with the industry and what beer people are drinking um, to, to really know that. Right. I think, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, back in the day we had rate beer and beer advocate, um, I don't, I don't know if those are real, real prevalent anymore. I think there's like uh, yeah, not really. on tap or uh, what is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and some of those different apps and I don't, I'm not on them. Uh, I haven't seen anything smart. I, you know, from, from friends, um, I mostly, mostly spend my time like mountain biking and, and working out and, and skiing. So I, I get to see beers here and there and stuff. Um, I think that Weldworks has done a really great job. I think transcending that small, you know, small brewery making a lot of different beers or drinking IPAs. And, you know, they've continued to kind of keep that, keep that creativity, uh, keep the quality. And, and I think they've been able to, to continue to grow in a difficult market here in Colorado, you know, both in chain um, and abroad. So I would, I would guess um, that Weldworks is that way, and I think Outer Range. I hear a lot as well. Um, oh it's yeah, probably a lot to do with skiing and stuff. Yeah, uh, and, and being up in Summit County and that. A lot of, a lot of raging fans about um, about Outer Range as well. So you know, I think those are two that have been been really hot and doing really really well. Um, but Weldworks certainly, you know, is is getting up there, and they just in in years, you know, in, in age and how long they've been around, and I think just continues to. Uh, make really good strides so i i think that there are some of their beers people are still probably coming in uh and buying and, and leaving in the state with them would be my guess that's cool yeah i like what uh what neil is doing uh and his team up yeah. there i think that's that's really cool i was gonna say slow pour pills Ooh, that that would be another one too in cans, definitely yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 there's it is it is usually what i get from people saying hey are you checking a bag can you bring me back slow, slow port pills? And it's like, no, That's just cool. go, just go there for the price of an airline ticket, go and sit there and experience it. And it's, you know, and then obviously go and visit, uh, uh, visit Crooked Stave as well. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask you the green door question with, uh, okay. and the premise is on the television show, the good place in the final season, they introduce a concept of the green door where the characters can walk through it and be anywhere doing whatever they want to be doing. And so if we had a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation ended and you could walk through the door and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? That's amazing. Uh, I would, 
uh, I would walk through the green door and I would be in Brussels, Belgium, and I would be at Brasserie de la Seine, and I would be sitting there drinking with Sean Hill and Yvonne de Beats. Yvonne de Beats being the, the owner of Brasserie de la Seine. Of course. Yeah. It is the, I think some of, if not the best beer in the world, some of the best beer in the world, uh, certainly the best beer in Belgium. And you would be with someone, Yvonne is, is just unmatched from intelligence um, and fun and also, you know, kind and nice and just such a great person. And you'll probably from there do a, a pub crawl because he knows all the bars and knows everyone who owns them. And it'll be five in the morning, uh, next thing you know. But that would be that would be where I go. That I love I love a Belgian beer. I'm being there, drinking beers, but Yvonne Beats is a very special, special person and, and his brewery is phenomenal. Agreed. A lot of conversations about horse blanket, I imagine. <laughs> and we could talk about Botanomyces and horse blanket and Saisons <laughs> and and the history and yeah. It'd be wonderful. Chad, thanks for being on the show this week. It's always great catching up with you. It's been too long, but um, thanks for Certainly thanks has. for the insight. Thanks for thanks for taking the time. Absolutely, thank you so much. Thanks for reaching out. Love being able to be on the show. It's always great talking to you. Have you found an amber ale substitute to the original fat tire that scratches the itch? If so, tell me about it. You can email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. This Week in Rauk Beer is also going strong online these days. The Facebook group is easy to search, and on Instagram, we're at TWRaukBeer. Don't forget, you can also follow All About Beer on all of the social media channels at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, you can email us at info at allaboutbeer.com, or you can simply go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Speaking of that, here is a quick word from this episode's sponsor. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real <clears throat> POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drinkbeer. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash drinkbeer to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash drinkbeer. Another quick reminder, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Just search All About Beer. Steal This Beer still has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.